Art Yourself Alive podcast with your host Vicky Parker, sharing lived experience stories of the power of creativity to support your mental health and well-being. Well, hello. Here it is, the podcast, a chance to finally share my unfiltered voice in my own way on my own terms. So I'm beginning this podcast because I just really, really want to share how amazing creativity is for your well-being. And I have a lot of stories of my own and I've moved through those stories for myself and I've come now to a place where I am so ready to share all of the aspects of that healing journey and the wisdom that it's brought me and to honour the concept of the final pillar of healing being sharing the wisdom and to invite guests into this podcast to be able to share their wisdom and plant seeds for all of the listeners so that they may start their own healing journey with some kind of creative process, whatever form that takes. But I wanted to begin this podcast with something that takes me back five years now. Five years was when I wrote my one woman show about my life and I did it in the Brighton Fringe in 2017. And before I performed that, I did my first public speaking at a fantastic event that was running at the time called Inspiring Talks Brighton. And I was uh, a speaker on their very first event. And in that speech, I outlined the background story to the script that I had then ultimately written. And it was a very raw story And it was the first time I'd actually spoken it so clearly and so simply. And it was a very healing process in itself. So I wanted to share this whole podcast journey with the recording of that event speech. And um, it was called the Permission Year because it was that year, that whole year that gave me permission to completely stop and look at my life. I'd walked out of teaching. I'd got heart palpitations and um, I was getting uh, panic attacks in the classroom and I decided to stop everything and focus on myself, focus on my inner child work and focus on my own healing journey because all I knew at the time when I walked out of teaching was that I wanted anything but this and I'm wondering if you can relate that there are times when you just know that nothing, nothing is going to be right until you do something about it. So now I'm going to share with you the complete talk from that night in its entirety. Enjoy. When I was 23, I told my mother that I was giving up modeling and I was going to study psychology. 
And she, in her scout horror, said to me, why have you got to always analyse everything? (laughs) And I said to her, because nobody I know is investigating or questioning the fat elephant in our family room. And that was the first time I think I gave myself a clear moment of permission. And then 25 years later, on March the 24th, 2016, I decided to fully accept that permission. So this is me, I'm Vicky Parker. And I've taught drama in schools in primary and secondary for 15 years now. I'm an actor and a writer and a director. I'm also a singer. What else am I? (laughs) Oh, and I'm an artist, apparently. (laughs) Yes. So, and I've founded a company recently in the last six months called Arts Unwritten. And what we do is we develop new writing for theatre about personal journey in performance. And I collaborate with um, visual and um, movement artists on that to create poetic narratives. I also have an exceptional ability to pretend. To pretend that everything is fine. (coughs) And in fact, it's so amazing that I fool myself. And I'm here tonight to give this talk to explain why I learned how to do that and what the devastating consequences are when you're an adult that has that as your go-to survival strategy. So here goes, a bit about my past. My father has narcissistic personality disorder and my late mother was codependent, depressed, suicidal and ill all the time. I no longer have any contact with him or my brother or 99% of my extended family and that is my choice. A narcissist, very topical at the moment, is someone who has rejected their true self, believing it to be worthless, excuse my shaking hand, bad and unacceptable. And in their striving for an existence, they have developed a false self that is only sustained via external sources. They have split off the true essence of who they are and they can no longer sustain themselves or their own self-worth. They need other people to validate their existence. And it's not a whim. (coughs) It's a survival strategy. It's a very sad disorder, even though it manifests itself in truly terrifying and manipulative ways. My childhood was a heady cocktail of emotional chaos and shifting realities. A cycle of idolization and diminishing. An expectation of forced loyalties. A silent, daily, non-verbal reinforcement of the subtle contract between the abuser and the abused. I was three years old when my mother had an affair and I witnessed my father begin the path of destroying my mother's mind and relegating her to second-class citizen. If he was going to let her stay, then she was going to pay. And I witnessed her letting him do that. The unspoken but very real expectation of my role was clear, that she was no longer useful and I would replace her. I would be his champion. I would be his princess. I would be his captive source of ultimate pure grade supply. And it would be my job to make him feel special. I learned about betrayal from both of my parents, 
and it took me a long time to realize how much I betrayed myself daily as an adult. I learned about lies and revenge and punishing silences and being mocked and humiliated. And I learned that outside of the house, everybody else thought my parents were amazing. And I learned about what generosity, kindness and empathy could look like if you acted it well. And I learned that I lived in two worlds. I learned that my intuition was to be ignored at all costs and I learned to play the game. I learned that no one could be trusted and I learned that the world was not safe and that I was alone unless I complied. And the guilting and the threat of abandonment writes its legacy on the nervous system. If there is no way to fix or calm or soothe or escape in the lovely ways that you described in the perfect ideal parenting situation, then the survival mechanism of the brain remains on high alert and you become hypervigilant hyper and that is exhausting. And people who suffer consistent trauma never make a narrative of their life because in their mind they've left. Anguished memories assault and finally divide the self. And when a self is marinated in the lives of others, you watch life not knowing that you are allowed to live it. And the developing child is supposed to be answering these questions. Who am I? What can I do and what can't I do? What am I good at? Do I matter? Do I have an impact? And am I lovable? Well, the impact of chronic, persistent, interpersonal violence on this process is staggering. It literally alters the brain chemistry. And shame develops and acceptance of blame. And because children think egocentrically, they absolutely believe, absolutely believe it's their fault. And I didn't develop the skills to self-soothe or regulate normal emotions and impulses. I could not mod modulate anger. And I acted out a lot as a child, and I was a massive tantrumer. And I can still do that. <laughs> I also went to bed worried all the time. And the only way to get away is in the mind. And that is through dissociation. And dissociation is really the key to my talk. To dissociate means to be out of your body, to literally observe life from afar and to disconnect because you are no longer there. And dissociation prevents processing in the here and now and it leaves you without that narrative and it leaves you open and you literally do not notice when people aren't treating you well. But at the same time, when you're hypervigilant, you're literally trying to process all of the sensory information that you're being overwhelmed with and you don't miss anything that could spell danger, even if it's not danger. And there are no files in the brain of a child's mind who is traumatized where their whole story can be accessed and understood. And it is stored all over the place in partial memories and sensory information and associations. And if you tell me it's safe here, why would I believe you if my body is telling me otherwise? Meditation and yoga was the first time I ever felt a quiet body. And we're all stuck until we wake up and push through the fog. And I really believe that you can only attract what you feel about yourself. So it was absolutely time to change that. So what did my stuck self look like? Not this. <coughs> Obsessive thoughts, anxiety, depression, destructive romantic relationships. That's another play, another talk in, in itself. Self-harming, elusive and evasive behavior, defensive, argumentative and combative behavior, 
and surrounding myself with people who were abusive in some way. And at the same time as being academically, academically successful and holding down a challenging job with teenagers in London's East End. I was working on autopilot all week and crying at the weekend. And my external world literally mirrored the way I thought I should be treated. And I treated myself the worst of all. The rabbit hole is where I, what I call the place that I get lost in. Into the depths of despair and blackness and rocking and picking up myself and disappearing into other worlds, especially into television and other people's dramas. And I'm talking 10-hour marathons sometimes, just to not be there. I've also lost myself in shopping and creating debt and food and shoes and alcohol. I spent a long time trying to work, how to work out how to ground myself and how to be in my <coughs> body, and I've also spent a long time running away. And since I started questioning it all, though, at the age of 23, I've done a huge amount. I've tra trained in psychology, been to India, done the meditation, trained in integrative art psychotherapy, done three and a half years of integrative art psychotherapy for me, become a reflexologist, become a Reiki master, done loads of psychic work, learned to read the archetypes, consumed a million TED Talks, learned about quantum, mecha quantum mechanics, which is my most recent absolute love to study. And my journey so far has taught me that I am a recovering codependent. That's what I am. And I have a difficult time holding on to myself in the presence of others or their moods. Because a codependent anticipates the needs of others. It appeases and people pleases, anticipates the emotional responses of others, waits for others to validate them, and waits for permission to feel their feelings. And on an energetic level, all of this attracts people whose agenda is absolutely not to see you or hear you. In fact, it keeps you on the hook seeking their validation. And a narcissist knows when you are willing to put yourself last. And anyone who wants to manipulate or treat others badly knows where to look for this type of easy target. So I wonder how many people here know that story? And have you looked at who you surround yourself with? And who you accept into your space? As a child, I had no option to believe that my parents told me about this world, and it took me a long time to realize that what they showed me was how they were, and not how it is. I've also got complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't even know that was a thing until I'd started this journey. But the abuse cycle carries from generation to generation, and it certainly has in my experience of learning about my family. And it's ingrained in the abused child's brain that the way their parents behave toward them is perfectly natural. But those who endure trauma for an extended period under the age of 12 are open to devastating consequences because this is when morality, social skills, and life skills are all taught. And the child's sense of right and wrong sometimes becomes altered, as well as their understanding of social functions and their interpretation of the world around them. And this can sometimes result in personality disorders and traits like these. Altered ways of dealing with your feelings and inability to regulate anger. Altered attention span and self-perception. Chronic sense of guilt and responsibility. Not being able to trust problems with the relationship's boundaries, hence the tragic romantic history, 
Social phobia. I think I'm doing quite well today. <laughs> Difficulty communicating needs and wants. Impaired memory and judgment, hence reading the script. Fragmented and disconnected autobiographical narrative. And a very low self-esteem. And no one can see that from the outside. So, Before, when I did art therapy, I was haunted by feelings and, and visions of persecution <coughs> and being attacked. And every situation was a punishment or an annihilation. But three and a half years of this profound personal care using the arts reduced this obsessive preoccupation. In this journey, I've done meditation, I've done yoga, I've done dance, I've done shamanic journeying, drumming, singing, singing in the choir, loads of acting and writing, and I'm embodying myself right now doing this talk, which is a miracle to me, because this would not have happened a year ago. Even though I'm a drama teacher, it still wouldn't have happened. So, where am I? I've also explored being out of my body in really healthy ways, and that's when I do my art. And that's when I do my daydreaming. And those fundamentally healthy things that I still do <laughs> and are absolutely necessary for me. The unhealthy thing is the Netflix addiction. <laughs> and what I do to bring myself back, which is not so healthy, is the self-harming, which is the picking. Picking at yourself and scratching your head until you bleed. That's so much less than it was before. But it's still there. And it's almost unconscious. So let's go back to March the 24th, 2016, and why is that date so important? It's the day I walked out of teaching in a primary school, having had three months of panic attacks and heart palpitations. And I'd started a healing program, which I'm still doing, which is amazing, and I'll tell you about it. <coughs> I could not maintain my presence in front of so many children who needed any attention on them. I had nothing left to give them. And I found myself in tears in the toilet, utterly broken and ready to surrender. And it was the beginning of my permission year to rest, heal, and take stock of everything. And it's my permission to myself to tell the truth. So this brings me to my one-woman show. Neatly. You will all find on your tables and chairs a flyer for my show called Voice. It is my blues-inspired autobiographical story of my own way out of my own fragmented mind. It's told through theatre, movement, comedy and song. And I play a woman and the three parts of herself that she speaks through, so I'm all three parts. And in it we see her lost and obsessed self. We see the blues singer who seeks to unite the audience in their shadows through the music. And we see the TED Talk self who guides the audience through the chaos. Its aim is to be brave and to provoke and inform and heal the shadows of mental health. And in this Trump-inspired fascination with a narcissist, the piece finds itself curiously relevant as a commentary for the mass awakening of consciousness and connection of the disparate and lost parts of the societal identity. The poignancy of finding your voice amidst the fear-mongering <coughs> and control of a world stage is echoed here. As within, so without. The play illustrates the power of beginning with yourself to be the change you want to be. I'm giving a voice to all the personalities in my fragmented self. There are three characters, but there are many accents. So it's quite funny in parts. Even though this talk is quite serious and the subject is quite dense, it is actually quite funny in bits in the play. <laughs> okay, where is I? Oh, yeah. 
I'm writing and framing this story from a place of healing and hope. For now, I'm writing it at a time when I have done enough to dare to tell it and dare to return to the stage and dare to tell the truth. If I diminish myself in any way, I am still being controlled. And if I dilute the topic in any way, I am following the family rules and I'm not doing it. I'm showing you the fragmentation of a dissociated self and at times I still live it. But I'm writing from a place that's much bigger, bigger than me, where there is a wisdom that I'd forgotten about and an understanding that until you wake up, you are repeating your childhood and it's not on purpose and it's not your fault. But trauma therapy has to seek to reset the limbic system in the brain and it has to release the trauma at a cellular level in the body. Talking therapy does not go far enough. <coughs> you can research the works of Melanie Tonya Evans, who's an Australian narcissistic abuse recovery expert. And she is the person that I found and hers is the program that I do and still do and have done for 16 months. I've been engaged in this kind of inner child work and family generational trauma inquiry for that whole time and it has changed everything. And this is why I can do this talk and this is why I can feel safe in myself and observe the world rea without reacting most of the time. But I do watch with interest what world pain and global loss of self we are experiencing and how a narcissist has found his way to the pinnacle in the USA. To be witnessed by the eyes of an astounded world, desperately trying to search within themselves for their humanity so they can reassure themselves that he is not their mirror. Now, I'm not here for armchair psychology, even though I've studied psychology. I just recognize the energy of a narcissist as a trigger and a gift to lead you to your inner wounds so that you can heal. A child can't get away. But the child within me thought she was still trapped until I let her out. And this is my sole purpose. If you can hold the idea of a sole contract, you can accept the idea that you choose who you're born to for a higher lesson. And this has helped me greatly with forgiveness. So it's been 16 months now since I truly dedicated myself to the healing journey and I listened to my body and I asked for help and I began to live a much simpler life and I went for walks on the beach and I slept and slept and became best friends with my pyjamas. All the time negotiating with myself my level of worthiness for taking the time. I meditated and I did and still do the deep and painful inner work with my inner self. And there are decades of real and imagined horrors to release. But there is always a space made with each encounter to let, let the light in. So the permission to hold the space for myself with kindness and non-judgment has been the profound and moving revelation for me. <coughs> it's taken me 48 years to mother myself and accept that I know I am enough simply because I exist. I have no control over other people or situations. I observe my gut instinct to involve myself in the drama of others, and I choose not to. I have released the need to rescue, fix, or save other people at the expense of myself. And this is why I walked away from all of my family, because I do not want that role. I treat myself kindly, and I have radically changed my self-talk, <laughs> which is the game changer. I sought counseling and mentoring, with the lovely Libby Davies sitting on the front row. <laughs> Buddhism, my friends, and my lovely work coach at the job center called Sue. 
lovely lady. Yeah. I journal every day and I make art. I now choose where to put my energy carefully. You won't often see me out because I really like silence and I don't rush anymore. I don't entertain liars and I say no without guilt. I'm not in the business of guilt anymore. If I'm your second choice, then please choose your first because life is too short. I like my own company and I'm also grateful for small moment, moments over coffee with friends. I'm grateful for music. I love my spiritual practice and the perspective that it gives me. There is no one to blame. There are simply stories to be shared, acknowledged, felt and released. This talk is part of that storytelling. Voice, my show, is the symbolic inner landscape presented for shared catharsis through the arts, the place where message hits home on the unspoken level. I was hidden, silently keeping the flame alive, whilst all around played scornfully with the puppet, mocking her delightful facade. But not anymore. <laughs> <laughs>